0: All right, well, how's everybody doing this morning? Wonderful. I just said, I'm uh, David Hurtado, lead pastor. If, uh, if you're new to us, love to meet with you, love to hang out with you, get to know your name, put a face to the name, all that kind of stuff. I meet afterwards in the patio, and so please come up and don't be shy. I, I, I'm super relational. I like that kind of stuff. So uh, if you're cool with it, I'm cool with it. love to meet with you. Uh, we're in, the, in, in, the, in a series in the Gospel of Mark, um, and uh, we're, we're diving in again. I don't know if it was planned, but the songs this morning <laughs> worked really well with the passage. I don't know if Kelly's like, or it's just a God thing, but it's awesome. So we're gonna dive into that. But before we can get into that, I gotta tell you a story. I gotta tell you about Pete's Barbecue in San Francisco. I don't know if you guys go to San Francisco very often, but if you ever get to San Francisco, you got to go to Pete's Barbecue. Pete's Barbecue is on 20th and Mission. There's five districts in the in, in, in San Francisco. One of them is the Mission District. It's not exactly a district that you should be caught alone at night. Don't do that to yourself. Um, you may not make it to the next day. But during the day, it's a wonderful place. And the Mission District, on 20th and Mission, there's a place called Pete's Barbecue. Okay, write it down. Whenever you, Actually, had a had a, a couple in Arizona go, we're going to San Francisco, we're going to Pete's Barbecue. And uh, hopefully they weren't disappointed. But anyway, it means a lot to me because growing up, Pete has been there. Uh, Pete, who owns Pete's Barbecue, has been there for 30 some odd years. So as a child, I remember my mom coming and bringing rotisserie chicken from Pete's Barbecue in San Francisco, 20th and? Mission. Good, good. And so at 20th and Mission, and so, and so she'd bring it home and we loved it. It's a, it's a Greek recipe, uh, you know, rotisserie chicken. I've never had rotisserie chicken better in my life. I'm not sure what they put in the recipe, but I'm quite convinced it has something to do with crack cocaine. They put it on it and it spins and it just becomes addictive. And so they have, I mean, they have all kinds of other barbecue there, but we just do the, uh, the, the rotisserie chicken. And so it, for me, you know, it reminded me of my mom. My mom passed away about 15 years ago. So anytime I'm in town, I always go uh, to Pete's barbecue and I have some of the, 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 the rotisserie chicken there. One time in particular, sometimes I go see a 49er game. Once a year, I try to make a 49er game in San Francisco uh, with my wife or by myself, whatever, I, whatever, you know, so I can get a game in. I, I happen to fly into San Francisco airport I was coming from the other side of uh, San Francisco and uh, took the BART because uh, that's the public transportation train that you can take. And there's different uh, stations. One's on 24th and Mission, and one's on 16th and mission, and Pete Barbecue's on 20th and mission. Now, this is gonna be important. He's like, why is it getting so detailed about these streets? It's important. So you get, if you're coming from one side of the bay, you would go, you'd, you'd get off at 16th and mission, and you'd walk four blocks to 20th and mission, which actually would be about a mile plus of a walk. It's not a short walk. These blocks are long. And so, or if you're coming from the other side of San Francisco, you'd get off at 24th and mission, and then you would take a four block, or a mile or so walk, to 20th and mission, and you'd go to Pete's Barbecue. But it was worth it. It didn't matter. You'd get off the train and you'd walk the mile to get to pizza barbecue at five o'clock at night there's like 20 people outside the door waiting for bar for rotisseries to get done so they can buy them and take them home really really good um and and amazing and it reminds me of my mind the whole bit so i'm coming from san francisco uh the airport the other side i get up on 24th mission i got my little rolling bag and everything and i'm just gonna walk to pizza barbecue and i get off of 24th mission and i can smell what smells like Pete's Barbecue. And I think to myself, anytime you're around 20th and Mission or 19th, any, that little area that you can smell Pete's Barbecue for a block. But I mean, I'm on 24th and Mission; I'm a mile away. How does Pete get his smell all the way over to 24th and Mission? I mean, this is incredible. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if Pete like franchised, maybe he franchised and there's another Pete's Barbecue, which would be really smart because now we don't have to walk that far from the bar, the bar station to get there. So I go, I know what I'll do, I'm gonna follow my nose. So I get out the bar station, I smell him. Whatever my nose goes is where I'm going. And I go down this street, down this alleyway. And, and, and sure enough, I find a barbecue. So I go, oh, it must be Pete's barbecue. And I look up and it says, George's barbecue. <laughs> oh, wow, that's really interesting. Well, I walk in. I mean, it smells like pizza. I, I walk in, I, and, and, you know, and there is George. This is George, and George. It looks kind of like Pete's barbecue, the whole thing. And I go, well, let me just try, you know, there's only one Pete's in the world type of thing. And so, um, you know, and this guy didn't look Greek, so I'm like, I don't know. So anyway, I buy the barbecue, sit down and eat it, and it's the same line, the same way. Everything's the same, you know. He has, he has you know, there's, there's macaroni salad there. He has pies the same way, displayed the same way that Pete's does. And then I take a bite of the chicken, and it tastes like Pete's barbecue. And so I go up to George and go, hey, George, do you you know Pete? I mean, just putting this together. Do you know Pete? Like Pete's barbecue on 20th Mission. I was actually going there today, came here. He goes, oh, yeah, I know Pete. Yeah, we worked 22 years together. I worked at Pete's barbecue for 22 years. I'm like, oh, man, that's really interesting because it tastes exactly like Pete's, you know. You know, so I'm like, hey, by the way, how's Pete doing? He goes, I don't know. Pete doesn't talk to me anymore. This is a true story. Pete does, I don't know, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why he doesn't talk to me. He doesn't, you know, we spent 22 years of our lives and now he won't talk to me. And I'm thinking to myself, really, George? You can't figure out why he doesn't talk to you anymore. I'm sitting in this restaurant with you. It took me about 20 seconds to figure out. I mean, the facts are clear as day to me. I mean, you're, you got the same exact barbecue, the recipe, you got the, the macaroni salad. You even got his pies laying out there. But you can't figure out why Pete doesn't talk to you anymore. The facts seem to speak uh, speak for themselves, George. Obviously, it's not going to be okay with somebody stealing his recipe and opening up another restaurant, closer to the BART station, by the way, than Pete's itself. I still go to Pete's because, you know, it's 30 years of history that we have together. Anyway, uh, sometimes the facts, the facts speak for themselves. And, and we're kind of going to jump into a narrative today. In the narrative of Jesus Christ's life and ministry, it's seen through the eyes of Mark. And that's what the gospel of Mark is, is Mark's eyes or his presentation on what he saw of Jesus Christ's life and the narrative of his ministry the three years prior to, to him dying. And so uh, we're going to look at this narrative. And by the end of it, we're going to say, wow, the facts seem to speak for themselves. Kind of like the situation with, with Pete and George's barbecue. The facts speak for themselves. But before we get there, before we get to that very end point where the aha moment comes, we're first going to look at some validating factors of Jesus, the Jesus movement. I call it the Jesus movement because we're 2,000 years later and we're still running with it. I mean, here we have a building built on this concept of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus 2,000 years after he walked on earth. It's a movement. So what validated this movement? What were the authenticating factors uh, for Jesus and his cause? Uh, What makes Jesus' ministry so compelling? Maybe you consider that. Maybe you're a a skeptic or somebody who's a seeker or somebody who says, Yeah, I'm not sure about this whole religious thing. But I do find it rather interesting that 2,000 years later, people are still following this thing. What makes this thing so compelling? So we'll look at that today. Why were people captivated by Jesus in the first century? And what about him continues to captivate us today? And that's what we're going to kind of look at today in the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1. (laughs) <laughs> week five in our series, and we're still in chapter one. It's going to take forever, folks. And so uh, chapter one, open up your uh, your phone, you know, hopefully you have the U version downloaded. You can go there, you can take some notes. Uh, uh, chapter one, we're going to look at verses 21 through 28. And really the overarching question you'll see on the screen, what validated Jesus? the Jesus movement to his audience? What validated the Jesus movement to his audience? So he had an audience in the first century. What was so compelling about him in the first century uh, um, that, that, they, that they would validate his ministry or, his, or the movement to him. And then what today? Those very same things are the things that, that are captivating us and continue to validate and authenticate his ministry to us today. That movement is authenticated the same way. The first thing we're going to see is his authoritative teaching. His authoritative team, that he would be one who would teach with authority. There was something different about his teaching that people could not grasp. When I hear him talk, he speaks with somebody with, uh, that has authority. He has somebody who has authority. Let's look at verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as a teacher of the law. So that, we're going to stop right there. He's in Capernaum. He goes, it's Sabbath day. It's a worship, it's something like a Sunday for us. He goes to the synagogue, which is kind of like their worship gathering, like what we're doing right now. And he begins, begins to teach. And the people listen to his teaching. They're amazed at what he says. So much of so they would say, man, this guy is speaking as someone one who has authority, not as the teachers of the law, not like the regular teachers that we usually hear. He speaks with one who, as one who has authority. So what validated Jesus' movement? And to his audience, number one, his authoritative teaching. So let's, let's just kind of dig in. We do this every week. We kind of dig in to go deeper and what's going on. And we take the Bible. We put it up high. It's kind of our thing here. All right, so when you come, you should expect I should open this thing up. I want to learn. I want my mind to be engaged. I want to get uh, get deeper into this thing. And so we're going to kind of tear it apart and look at those first two verses. What's a synagogue? Well, you got to remember, in the Old Testament, the place of worship would be the tabernacle before they had the temple, and they would it's like a tent thing, and and they would go there and they would worship. And then once that gave way to the temple of God, Solomon's temple, they would worship at the temple. However, about the Babylonian exile, about sixth uh, six century BC, sixth century before Christ, that thing is gone, and so those temple days are gone. And then these little gatherings started popping up everywhere. If we don't have the mother ship to go to to worship God and, and to be kind of, have uh, our fellowship with God and, and invest in that time with God, if we can't do that at the mothership anymore because it is gone, we're going to have these other little smaller worship environments that would pop up and they would begin to be called synagogues. And that's what carries over into the time of Jesus. He's kind of like a church almost. Like we come here, we worship God together, we we review teaching of his word, almost the same exact thing. In fact, many would say that we model our church service, our church gathering, what we do together, because of the synagogue um, um, uh, kind of pattern that we saw before us. So the mothership is gone. They're gathering in smaller settings because they don't have the mothership to go to. And so these would be in houses. They'd be rather plain. But this was the only place. You got to think back. I'm going to put myself into a first century setting now. All right. Uh, This would be the only place that I got to interact with the word of God. Why would that be? Well, today, I got up three weeks ago, and I said, hey, it's the new year. You guys should read your Bibles. Why don't you get on your phone and download the YouVersion app? Remember, how many of you guys did that? Raise your hand right now. Accountability time. One person. Thank you. You guys are horrible. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) So anyway, the point is we can go on our phone, and within 15 seconds, we can download the entire scriptures to our phone for free. All right? But in those days, that wasn't the case. If I had my own copy of uh, the Holy Scriptures, you know how, how, how much that would cost me to get that. The majority of people didn't even have a copy. So if they wanted to interact with God and hear words from God and kind of invest in this relationship with God, they were going to have to go to these smaller settings, these synagogues, where so they could worship God and hear his word right? A little different than us today. Hopefully, uh, you are practicing and trying to get into a rhythm where you're reading the Bible for yourself. We try to encourage that. I'm not just the the person that tells you what to think and all that. No, no, I want to teach you how to think so you can go and read for yourself and get things out of it, all right? So anyway, that's what's going on in the synagogue, uh, little smaller places of worship where you can engage with God. Now, there was this thing where they would call it a certain uh, a certain part of their uh, of their gathering time. They would call called the, it is called the freedom of the synagogue. What it meant was that somebody in the audience, if you were uh, schooled or taught or or, or you, you have some background, that would educate you in the scriptures. That you would be invited to come up on uh, you know here would be on the stage and present and teach. So uh, this is not unlike when I have Matt or Brian or somebody teach uh, on the stage, you know, I have some background, they've done some study, whatever, and they present the Word of God, or I myself, I'm doing that myself. Um, uh, but this, this idea of the freedom of the synagogue, if there was a traveling rabbi that would go through town, and he needed to go to church on Sunday, or he needed to go to Sabbath, he would go to, uh, on Sabbath, he needed to go to the synagogue, he would go to the local synagogue, he would sit there, and they would go, oh, you're a traveling rabbi. Maybe you have something to say to us in our congregation. Why don't you stand up and say something. And so this this is very, it was a part of the service. It was was built into the whole thing, all right? And so when Jesus gets up and speaks in a synagogue, it's actually something that would be uh, not unheard of. It would be like, oh, we heard about you. You just made a guy who was blind see. We'd like to hear what you have to say. I heard about you and you turned the water into wine. That's pretty amazing. Why don't we have him say something? I'd like to listen to that guy who can do that kind of stuff. And so he would go.